So I get to speak to you guys this morning about a topic that I love. Um, it's something that I'm very excited to be sharing with you. And uh, my, my hope and prayer is that it would speak life to you, that something that the Holy Spirit speaks to you this morning would help you enter into and experience just a little bit more of what it means to, to live in Jesus, to experience more of his life in and through us. Uh, so I'm very, very privileged to be able to share with you this morning. So I want to ask you a question. Think about this for a moment. How important is joy to you? How much time, how much of your resources, whether that's money or effort, how much of our lives, and I don't just mean you guys, but mankind, men and women, how much effort do, do people spend into trying to find joy and enjoying life? A fair amount, right? It's pretty safe to say that you could walk into any room and just do a quick pull. In fact, I'll do it right now. Put up your hand if you're here this morning and you would like to experience more joy. Put up your hand if you want to experience more joy. Look at that. Wow. Every hand basically is up, maybe one or two over there. I don't know, but no, you, everybody wants to experience more joy. You're never going to ask someone if they want to experience more joy, and they would say, you know what? No. I, I got enough. I, in fact, maybe too much. More than I'd like, actually. I, I don't need or want more joy. You know, you're just never going to hear that. Add that to the list of things never said. Okay? No one's ever going to say that. Everyone wants to experience more joy. We care a lot about enjoying life. We, 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 we spend a lot of time and resources wanting that. Um, so here's my, my question. Do we know, do you know that God truly wants you to experience more joy in your life? Not, not just a little bit, but I mean a lot. Do you know that? Now, it's very easy to just give a quick Sunday school answer. Well, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds biblical. But I want you to pause on that for a second and really take a moment to let yourself be honest with yourself. Do you believe that God wants you to experience more joy? Do you, do you find it hard to believe that God wants you to experience more joy? Because we might be tempted to think that God really isn't all that interested in us experiencing more joy, because if he was, well, he would, what? What comes to your mind? If God really wanted me to experience more joy, then he would do what for me? Take our suffering away. So maybe it's fix this problem, get rid of that illness, uh, I need more of this or more of that. I mean, any one of us could fill in that blank with something. Not saying you for sure, but many of us can. And because of that, because we think maybe God isn't all that interested in fixing those problems or adding that thing or person or whatever it is in our lives, we might think that maybe God doesn't care that much about me having joy. Because, well... If he did, he would do that, wouldn't he? So is it important to him? I think this is a really important question to ask, and we need to answer it correctly, because what we're really talking about is what we think about God, okay, and his character and his nature. 
And if what we think about God is different than how he actually is, that is going to affect our entire lives. Okay? What I mean, think of it like this. If we're honest with ourselves and we recognize that joy is really important to us, but we don't think it's important to God, what is that going to do to our relationship with him? Something that is so important to us, maybe deep down we think, maybe that's not too big of a priority for God. Maybe he cares about it a little, but I care about this a lot. <laughs> and it's not, it doesn't seem to be as important to God. If that maybe deep down is how we really feel that God thinks about it, this, what is that going to do to our relationship with him? It's going to put a divide, right? How is, that's going to affect our intimacy with him because something that's so precious and so important to us, we think he doesn't really care about it. And so what do we do? Well, we set off on our own in search of joy. Say, so, well, I guess this is something I'll just have to arrange for myself. God's got a reason, okay, and we can tell ourselves those things, the Sunday school answer, but I guess it's up to me. I've got to find some way to make myself enjoy life, and I'll try and do the things that pleases God and live a life that he wants, and, and he'll show up and he'll do things, I know, but as far as searching and finding joy, I guess that's up to me. And friends, if this is what we think, it's a very dangerous path to start heading down. So I want to look at quickly at the question, how much does God really care about us having joy? John 15, 11 is one of my favorite passages, John 15. This is where Jesus is talking about the vine and the branches, and I reference this so often in my teaching, so I'm not going to go into too much depth in it, but you're familiar with it, right? This is where Jesus is saying, uh, explaining what it is to have life in him. He's saying, I'm the vine. He uses this great analogy. He says, I'm like a vine, and guys, you, your branch is in me. And my life is, is to flow and live through you. And as you abide in me, as you receive life from me, you're going to bear this amazing fruit. And apart, apart from me, you can't do anything. Because I'm the source of life. I'm the source of everything that brings nourishment and life to you. It's not you trying to create it and, and uh, achieve it. You can't bear any fruit apart from me. I am the source of it. It's not an external circumstances. I'm it. And so after Jesus speaks about this, this amazing truth, this, about our union with him and abiding in him, he says this, John 15, 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. Whoa. Do you hear that? What does Jesus want for you? What, what, what is he saying is so important, the, the purpose in, in making sure we understand that we get life from him? He's saying that I, because I want you to experience my joy. I have spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you. Not just a little bit, not just uh, a taste that, or uh, something that comes and goes, but that your joy would be made full. God wants you and I to know more joy, lots of it. And not just any joy, his joy. So what we discover as we live and abide in Jesus is that he is our only hope for real, lasting joy. 
And he wants us to experience that joy. The life that God intended for us to live, the one that we were created to live, is one full of joy. And see, this is what John 15 is all about. Uh, It's God restoring life to us so that we can live how we were meant to live. And so the amazing thing is, despite what we may think and feel, we have to look at God's word, what is true. True, full joy is now available to us for those of us who are in Christ. And see, that's the fruit that we bear. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5.22. Can anyone name the fruit of the Spirit? Just call it out. Awesome. Well, Well done. The fruit of the Spirit. This is what we experience as we abide in Him. Okay, joy, the manifestation of abiding in Christ and therefore bearing fruit includes a joyful life. And I just think it's so sad how many of us think that living a holy holy life or being conformed to Christ or letting Jesus be our all in all, living completely surrendered to him might be a little dull or missing that that, uh, enjoyment and satisfaction in life, that we somehow think it's something we need to arrange and find on our own. And the truth is so far from that. The truth is there is no joy, real joy, apart from him. Joy is spiritual. It's not temporal. And so God wants us to experience his joy. See, happiness is temporal. You understand the difference between joy and happiness? Happiness is dependent on my happenings. What's happening? And if what's happening is favorable then I'm happy. And there is nothing wrong with that. It's awesome. I love it when things are happy in my life. I like it when things are going the way I want and things are clicking along and it makes me happy. But God is telling us this incredible thing that joy is available to us regardless of what's happening in the temporal realm because joy is spiritual. It's something that comes from his life and it's something we can experience regardless of what's happening. And I'm going to get into this, but I I want you to just recognize, I don't say this flippantly. I recognize that this isn't necessarily easy, but we're, we're going to get into that. So it's important to note that because joy is listed as one of the fruit of the Spirit, we can conclude that it's his nature to be joyful. He is joyful. Do you ever think about that? God is joyful. Joy flows from his life, and he created us in his image. We were created to live with joy. It is part of God's design for humanity to have an incredible capacity for joy. And see, it was his design that not only would we have this great capacity for joy, but then that he would be the source of our joy. He was and is to be our reason for rejoicing. He is our our reason for rejoicing. So believe it or not, whatever experience may tell you differently, God intended us for action us to actually enjoy life. However, we all know that we're not in paradise anymore, are we? (laughs) The fall of man has tainted us, and we still have the scars of our sin. And here's the awesome news of the gospel. We have been restored to a place where we can experience him again. We're not separated from him anymore. Because of the cross, we have been united and joined to Christ like that vine and the branch And we can receive his life 
and live in it and bear fruit. So right now, what we are in is this, this process of healing. Our souls are being restored so that we can know the fullness of his joy. Because it doesn't just happen like that. I don't know if you've noticed that. When you became a Christian, a, flip didn't just, a switch just didn't just flip on, and all of a sudden, wow, I can't experience anything but joy. No, it unfortunately, it doesn't work quite like that. Because we have wounds, and we have lies, and things that are preventing us from experiencing the fullness of Jesus. And as we've said many times from different people up here, this, this is one of the main reasons this church exists, is that we want to teach and help us, all of us, to grow together in understanding and experiencing the life of Jesus. And so this morning, this long intro is all leading up to just one aspect of that and how we can maybe experience even just a little bit more of his life. I want to talk a little bit more about joy before I move on, though. Uh, another reason why joy is important to God. So you understand, I'm trying to explain to you, I, I really do think joy is important to God. I'm not just talking about Viarda joy. I know you keep smiling back there. You know, I'm so important. You are. It's not what we're talking about. <laughs> Nehemiah 8.10 says, Then he said to them, Go eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so, I don't know if you guys have experienced this. I, I have, and I, I see it in Scripture. But what gives us strength? What gives energy and, and life to your, your soul? Joy, right? Rejoicing in the Lord makes us strong. So, I have a silly example for you, and... I say silly, but it's real. It's happened. But I, I realize it's a small-scale example as to some of the things that we're facing. But a number of years ago, we had the flu run through our house. And some of you guys may be experiencing that right now. We have some people missing today. Maybe that's what they're experiencing at this exact moment. It's that time of year. Fun times, right? So I remember Megan and I, we would talk. We have four kids. And we would say to each other, man, God help us if the two of us both get the flu on the same day. Like, up to that point, it had never happened. And sure enough, this one time, I remember, it hit both of us. And uh, Aiden got it, Megan got it, and I got it. And I don't know if we had the other two, actually, at this point, but we had two kids. And I remember Nolan was in diapers. He was a baby. And uh, he had a dirty diaper. And Megan and I were both sick. And it was, we just look at each other, and it's like, oh, who's, and I was like, you know what? I got this. I think I can do this. And she's like, because I, I just can't. I can't change a dirty di diaper right now, you know? I said, okay, okay, I, I can do this. So I take him and I start walking up the stairs. And have you ever had that when the, the, the vomiting is about, is on set, right? Like it is coming and you just start feeling that hot sweat and the room starts spinning and I'm walking up the stairs. And I'm like, oh no, oh no. And I was like, Megan, I'm not going to make it. And I started running. This actually happened, right? And I start running upstairs and I throw Nolan into the crib. I'd love to say I didn't throw him, but I really do think I did. And I ran into the bathroom, and I just started retching. Like, I mean, I have never thrown up like this in my life. And Megan, to this day, says she cannot forget the sound that was coming out of that bathroom. I had never anything like this. It was this, I'm going to try and do it for you. It was, like, <laughs> it was like this croaking. Like, it was not a normal vomiting. It was like my entire insides just tried to leave me all at once, both ends, Right? And it was just like this, rah, 
like, I, I can't explain it. It was this loud croaking just coming out of me. And Nolan's, you know, got his poopy diaper, and I can hear Megan coming, and I'm just vomiting my guts out. And this thought comes through my mind that despite this, and I'm, I'm literally hugging the toilet, and this thought, I know it was the Holy Spirit, says, you can rejoice in me right now. <laughs> wow, really? But I believed it. Even though it didn't seem possible, something struck me as kind of funny. To be honest, the sound coming out of me I actually found kind of amusing. And I, I knew that despite how awful I felt, and believe me, physically I felt very awful, I chose to rejoice in the Lord. Just not, I didn't break into song. Well, there, were, there, were, there was music coming out, but I don't know how beautiful. It wasn't a joyful noise to the Lord. But inwardly, I, I was thanking God that despite how I felt physically, I could still rejoice in Him. He was still there. I knew that my life was still in Him. And even though I wanted to kind of die, <laughs> I knew that I could be joyful right now, and I chose that. And inside, I kind of smiled. I, I actually chuckled. That, you know, if you can imagine puking and chuckling, chuckling at the same time. And despite how bad I felt, I felt also inwardly kind of good. Is that weird? Yes. Yeah. I don't know. See, what I think happened is <laughs> I was able to tap into a strength, the strength of Jesus because of my decision to rejoice. Don't get me wrong, that weekend was a battle, okay? But what we discovered is that we had all we needed in Jesus because of our refusal to feel too sorry for ourselves. So to flip it around, how strong do we feel when we spend a lot of time in self-pity and feeling sorry for ourselves? I mean... Some of us are facing real battles, bigger battles than the flu. Okay, I get it. That, that's just a small example. This isn't easy. And I don't know if you've noticed, but when I start focusing too much on the temporal, because I, I, let me say this, I would love to say that I do this every time that I'm facing a difficulty and a struggle. Every time I choose to rejoice in the Lord and the joy of the Lord is my strength. I wish that was true every time. It's not. I'm still learning. But when I do choose it, it, he proves himself faithful. And it does, it is true. But I don't know if you guys have noticed, so the times when I don't choose that, and I don't know if you've noticed when you don't choose it, so maybe we wallow in that, the thoughts of, oh man, my life, it's just not what we want it to be, or I wish this was different, I wish this problem didn't exist, or I wish this, 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 and we just allow ourselves to feel really sorry for ourselves. Do you know what I mean? So maybe you call it being down in the dumps, having a little downer party, because things aren't going our way. What I've discovered for myself is this is a very dangerous place for my heart to be. See, my flesh in those moments wants so desperately to find a substitute for joy because I'm not experiencing it. And that's the danger. So now the flesh is, is revved up. 
and understand that deep down the desire is for joy. What I don't even maybe recognize it in that moment, and maybe you, you guys understand what I'm talking about. What I'm really longing for is to experience Jesus. I want life. I want to experience joy. But my flesh wants to find the substitute because I'm just wallowing on myself and my own problems. So the, the true desire of my heart and the Spirit prompting us to turn to Jesus, but if we choose to mope, the flesh tries looking for other things. Maybe it's just through entertainment and TV and eating pleasurable foods or lust. I mean, you name it. It's countless options, right? But what's really driving us, and I want you to see this, is our desire for joy, our desire for Jesus. But when we choose to focus on that and be down, it saps us of all the strength. And see that Jesus wants us to experience his joy. But we can't bear good fruit as we tap into the rotten soil of self-pity, despair, and discontentment. And the danger, of course, is if we stay tapped in to the self-pity, despair, and discontentment, then the fruit that we bear, that is all our cheap substitutes for joy, the deeds of the flesh, they eventually become addictions. All right, so three important things we've established about joy so far. Joy is definitely important to us. We agree? It's important to all of us. Joy is important to God. He wants us to experience joy. And thirdly, God has made abundant joy available to us through Christ. So let me ask you, is your life characterized by one of rejoicing, joyfulness? Do you know the fullness of the joy of the Lord? Or does that sound more like mythology 101, right? Sounds good, Greg. I think I see some people around here may experience that, but I don't. So what I want to do is take a moment and ask you a question. What is robbing you of your joy? Ask Father to show you. Just take a moment. You don't have to answer it loud. What's robbing you of your joy? Is it guilt and self-condemnation? If that's what it is, friends, return to the cross. Remember the blood of Jesus that was shed for you. Receive his forgiveness and the gift of his righteousness. Stop paying for what has already been paid in full. Is it discontentment? Is discontentment robbing you of your joy? Because discontentment prevents us from fully experiencing the joy of living in Christ. Who can tell me what the major theme of the book of Philippians is? What's the theme of Philippians? What's the one word he uses over and over again? Joy, yes. You're getting bonus points today. You got all the answers. Thank you, Kat. All right, Philippians 4, 10 to 13. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So this is remarkable. First of all, that this letter of Philippians it's, deals heavily with the topic of joy. Paul wrote it from prison, so that's amazing when you think about that. And here he shares this incredible, Little secret, he says, 
I've learned a secret. And he's like, I want to share it with you. So at the end of Paul's lengthiest letter regarding joy, and he gives instructions to the church on rejoicing in all things, he gives this quick lesson on contentment. And the main point is that we can be content in all circumstances. Rejoicing in the Lord greatly, finding strength in him to endure all things. You see, there is a relationship between contentment, joy, and strength. Contentment, I believe, and I believe scripture says, is a key ingredient to experiencing the joy of the Lord and therefore his strength. Contentment is key. So I'm going to spend the rest of our time this morning quickly talking about contentment. So I want to go back to that question I asked earlier. Fill in the blank. I would have more joy if God would fill in the blank. So I would suggest to you that possibly, I'm not saying it is, but I would suggest possibly, whatever you filled in the blank there, that maybe this is an area that you struggle with discontentment, and it may be robbing you from experiencing the fullness of joy. Now you may say, hold on, Greg, that's not fair to say. You don't know what I'm dealing with. And you're right, I don't. I'm asking you to talk to God about it. This isn't about me. But you may say, I have a genuine, even, even a spiritual reason to be discontent. So my question, though, is, is what you are discontent with robbing you of your joy? Because there's one of two explanations, if it is. Either one, whatever the issue is, it's not from God. Because whatever God is stirring up and moving in through you, he's not going to rob you of your joy. Secondly, you could be carrying a burden that's not yours to carry and you need to surrender it to Jesus. Philippians 4.4 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. It doesn't say rejoice in the Lord always, except when... What? See, there are no exceptions. Whatever trial and circumstance and difficulty, whoever has failed us, however we have failed, we can still rejoice in him because he is still with us. He hasn't left. And friends, this is the secret to joy. This is how we can experience joy no matter what. This is the secret to contentment that Paul's talking about in his letter to Philippians, the church of Philippi. See, Jesus is with us and he is all we need. Friends, that is a reason to rejoice. Matthew, Matthew 11, 28, 29 says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So before I go on to the next part, I thought I would just have a, a prayer. I just want to pray. And if this prayer echoes some of what's on your heart or something speaking into you, just pray along with me in your heart to God. So loving Father, I confess to you that I have looked to substitutes for joy instead of abiding in your Son. I repent of my fleshly attempts at getting joy, and I agree that you alone are my joy. You alone are my heart's desire. I release the burdens that I have been holding on to that have kept me from experiencing you into your care. I surrender to you, to your perfect will and your perfect love. 
teach me, Jesus, that you are enough. So what is contentment? Simply put, it's an inner state or a state of inner satisfaction with your lot in life. So is contentment important? I think so. And I'm going to try and illustrate that to you. I think, as I said, that contentment is such a key part to experiencing joy. If you're not content, how can you experience any sort of lasting joy? So are you a content person? Or are you mostly concerned with changing your current circumstances? Do you desire to be content with what you have? So is contentment important to you? Is contentment important to God? Does he care if we're content? Is this important to him? Well, Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. See, I believe contentment is important to God, so it needs to be important to us. God desires us to be content with what we have. Now, as I kind of suggested earlier, this isn't as easy as it sounds for a number of reasons. For one, we live in a world that is constantly bombarding us with messages. I mean, there are companies and individuals who are paid a lot of money to convince you what you have is not enough, that you need what they have, that your life is somehow lacking in something, whether it's uh, the, the newer, better car, or that you need that bigger house, or you need certain clothes, or certain beauty products, or whatever it is, they're trying to convince us, the world as a whole is trying to convince us that you're lacking, that you, you're, you're missing something, and oh, if you would just buy my product, my thing, then you'll be satisfied, then you'll be content. They're trying to sell contentment. And again, it goes back to the lie, the belief that we think the responsibility of being satisfied or enjoying life is up to us. It's up to me. What can I do? What can I purchase or achieve? Or what can I change in my life to be better? Right? It's so easy to buy into these lies. And you know what? We don't even, so we've got the world against us, but I mean, our own flesh is set against the spirit, the Bible says, and it's waging war against us. So, I mean, we've got lots coming at us trying to convince us that we have no reason to be content or have joy. And so there's a couple things I think we need to settle on in our hearts and minds in order to experience contentment. I'm going to quickly go through them. For one thing, we need to come to accept the truth that God is sovereign, right? This is the underlying concept I think, to contentment. What is the sovereignty of God? The sovereignty of God is the perfect care and control of a perfect God in an imperfect world scarred by sin. God is in perfect control. Where I am, what I have, the circumstances of my life are all part of God's incredible plan and design for my life. And sometimes it doesn't look how we want it to look. We don't have what we wish we had. It's harder than we wish it was. But I think it's so important for us to be able to deal with that properly. We have to start with this one truth. 
Is God sovereign? Yes. So he is in control. So whatever may seem completely out of my control, whether it's that promotion you didn't get, that um, financial difficulty that's coming, uh, relational problems, health problems, whatever it is, we can't see maybe the solution. We don't understand it. But we have to ask ourselves the question, is God in control? And if I can say yes to that confidently, and I know that he is good, I know that he loves me, then I can begin down the path of contentment. But if we don't believe that God is in control, that he's somehow surprised and, uh uh-oh, freaking out over what's happening, that this is, oh, but this is a little too big for me. If we think that's what God's doing, well, we are in big trouble. So we need to have it settled. We know that God is in control. 1 Corinthians 7.17 says, Let each one, and this is the amplified version, let each one seek to conduct himself and regulate his affairs so as to lead the life which the Lord has allotted and imparted to him and to which God has invited and summoned him. This is my order to all the churches. Friends, we have a planned calling of God. It's not random. It's not accidental. It's deliberate. We are where we are as part of God's divine perfect plan. 1 Corinthians 7, 17 to 39. I'm not going to read it all because we just don't have the time. But it essentially says that we are to remain where we are. So the, the, the lot in life that you have been given by God, he says, stay where you are. And as, we, as I want you to see, that is until God says for something to change. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. See, an ambassador stays where he is, or she, until the commander-in-chief sends him home or tells him to go somewhere else. See, God wants wants us to understand what it means to be an ambassador. That we stay where we are. It's not our decision. It's God's. And if he's telling us to change, then we change or we move or whatever it is. But God's in control. So do we recognize God's call in our life to be his ambassador in the place that he has chosen for you? That could be work. That could be your role in your family, your sphere of influence, your friends, the people, the places that you go that God has ordained for you, have you accepted your your call to that place and responded with an attitude of contentment as we yield to his plan? Or are you really wishing that God would change it and make it easier or better? And I, I really think as we accept the fact that he has called us there, it helps us be more content. See, God has enabled us to be the most contented people in whatever state we are in. I think this is one of the great hallmarks of of the mature Christian life, that you were able to be, I think this is why the Apostle Paul was able to say, I've learned the secret, and he wants us to know it. Here's the secret. We can be content. Paul said, I know what it is to have a little. I know what it is to have a lot. Regardless, I've learned the secret of being content. I can do all things through him. He's the secret. Life in Jesus. 
So contentment is a state of inner satisfaction with your lot in life. The absence of contentment often reflects in complaining. I would suggest that whatever area of our life that we find ourselves complaining a fair amount, it's likely we're discontent there. Not saying for sure, but I would say it's likely we are struggling with discontentment in that area. So here's some questions just to ask yourselves, just like a quick little check-in. How many jobs have you had in the past four years? Again, I'm not saying that if you change your job a lot, you are a discontent person. Is it just a question to ask God? If you've had a a new job every year, you may be showing signs of discontentment. Are you always finding a reason to be unhappy, to justify your desire for change? Oh, it's my boss, he's so unreasonable, or my job isn't fulfilling or challenging enough, uh, it's not enough pay, or my neighbors are annoying, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we often have our reasons, but these don't justify our desire for, or our uh, reason for change unless God says it's time to change. Do you, are you someone who gets discontented when you're not appreciated, or maybe you're misunderstood or unsuccessful? Here's a big one. Do you measure your satisfaction by comparing your lot in life with other people? Man, we love to compare ourselves, don't we? We're always, I shouldn't say that, lots of people struggle with this. We often compare ourselves to others. And maybe you're the person that can evaluate where you are compared to others and you feel really good about it yourself. Say, oh, I like that I've got the bigger house or the nicer car. And there's a sense of pride in those those things, because when you compare yourself to other people, you're like, yeah, you know, I'm doing all right. And that makes me feel good. Or maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum. When you compare yourself to others, it makes you feel very discontent. Oh, man, my house isn't as nice. I don't have a house. I'm just renting an apartment. Or um, my car, man, it's a piece of junk, you know. Um, I wish I had nicer clothes. Look at that person. They always look so nice. They have such nice clothes. And, oh, that person's going on vacation. I wish I could go on vacation. Or, man, we're vacationing to, you know, Grand Bend, and they're going to Hawaii, you know. Do <laughs> you find yourself having those conversations? It's very easy. We, it's so easy to do. It's so tempting. And when we compare ourselves with others, we're robbing ourselves of contentment. Even if your analysis is in your favor, if you base your satisfaction on the fact that you have the nicer stuff, friends, that isn't contentment at all. It kind of feels like it at the time because it strokes your ego. But the reality is, if you keep comparing yourself, eventually you're going to find someone who's got more than you. Have you discovered that? Eventually, comparing always robs us of our contentment. It's temporal. Whatever good feeling you get from it, it doesn't last. It does not satisfy God wants us to stop comparing ourselves. He has assigned each person what they have, where they are, their placement. And he goes, yours is for you, and it's perfect. Don't don't worry about comparing yourself to others. True contentment and satisfaction is based on Christ, and it lasts no matter what your lot. Contentment transcends circumstance. Here's some definitions of contentment that just kind of capture the essence of it. Contentment is enthusiasm with no worldly cause. Contentment is a heart immune to jealousy. It's excitement in the midst of illness. It's joy over a job no one else would have. It's thankfulness for a boss that is unfair and kind. It's living in a house just the right size. 
It's eating hamburger with no thought of steak. It's having compassion for the needs of someone better off than you. It's gratitude over a paycheck, regardless of size. It's saying, thank you, Lord, for hand-me-downs. It's praising God the car runs at all. It's loving the hardest task with the least recognition. It's saying, thy will be done, Lord, even when thy will means tears. It's never being possessed by our possessions, never being irritated over others' success. It's love without expectation. It is the calling of a Christian to be content. I struggled with that statement, the calling of a Christian, because it sounds like something I need to try and do. Friends, I hope that as you're hearing the message, it's not, contentment isn't something we achieve. Contentment is something we experience as we change our attitude and our hearts, our mindsets towards one of focusing on what we don't have to an attitude of thankfulness for what we do have in Jesus. That's the key. That's why the Apostle Paul said, whether I've got a lot or a little, I still can rejoice in all things because no matter what is going on, physically, financially, circumstantially, because all that, it, it's real and it's hard. I know. But it's temporal. And he says, we can set our mind on what is eternal and it is so much greater. And what is eternal can't be shaken. It can't be taken. It is steadfast. It's not going on anywhere. That's Jesus. And if you have him, rejoice. Doesn't mean you have to be thankful for everything that's going on. But he says we can always still be thankful because we always have Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean we don't talk to God about our struggles. It doesn't mean... We can't ask him for things, but he's saying, and whatever it is you're talking to me about, and whatever you ask, and I want you to ask me, he says. Talk right there, Philippians 4 to 7. Let your request be made known to God. But in all things, with thanksgiving, recognizing, God, this is tough, and I'm asking you to intervene here. I'm asking for help in this area. Uh, maybe it's an illness. But thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you're with me. Thank you that in you I can sustain this, that even if this goes totally south and this does not go the way I think it should go, thank you, Jesus, that you are with me. You're never going to leave me. Nothing can separate me from your love. And as I set my mind on these things, joy begins to spring up. We can be content and we can say, as so many people, great stories in the, in the Old Testament, you think about Esther uh, and how she was called to, the role that she was called to play in this great story where she risked her life to save a nation. And she said, if I perish, I perish. God, whatever you want, you're in control. My life isn't my own. And she walked in that confidence 
Not that everything would turn out, but the confidence in God. And that's the confidence we have because he has promised to love us and be with us forever so we can rejoice. And as we do that, Scripture promises that a peace that surpasses comprehension is going to guard our hearts and minds. Let's close in this prayer. There's so much more we could say about this topic, guys. I know I'm scratching the surface, but um, I hope something spoke to you today. So anyway, same. I'm going to pray. And again, if this prayer reflects what's on your heart, just pray in agreement with me, with God. Heavenly Father, I'm sorry for worrying about my well-being, for not trusting your love for me and your promise to take care of me. I have everything I need right now. Thank you for giving it to me. I am content with what you've given me. I'm sorry for thinking it is not enough and for loving money and the possessions of the world more than what I have in you. I repent of this way of thinking and look to you, Jesus, to be my all, my sufficiency in all things. I surrender my future to you, my King, and rejoice knowing I'm in the hands of a loving Father. Amen.